All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A positive Friday. How are you? Hope you're doing okay. As, uh, of course... In the uh, capital city of Alberta and surrounding areas, rather a uh, smoky, hazy day today. And uh, just a reminder of all the uh, the brutal fires that are going on in our province. It's a May long weekend, and I know many of us uh, love to have fires, but this weekend, going to have to look a uh, bigger picture. Uh, if you can, uh, be safe, and, uh, and hopefully you get some rain at uh, some point. A big shout-out to all those and all the different communities that are uh, Fighting the fires, trying to uh, keep land and homes and everything safe. So thoughts go out to them for sure. It's the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca, Alberta's only regulated online gambling website. And tonight, $50 million up for grabs at uh, the Max, Lotto Max, also uh, two Max Millions. So you can get your tickets at Play Alberta. .ca. Uh, lots and lots to discuss. we got a loaded show for you today. Uh, Mark Zucchino is going to talk a little uh, PGA Championship with us in our number one. Uh, Casting will be by Strudwick Button. Uh, McLeod, Ryan McLeod, or sorry, Gazzola, Ryan McLeod orders forward. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Sad Youssef to preview Dallas and uh, Vegas. Uh, we are going to start in the first hour. We're going to talk a little skating. And uh, I think it's obviously... Uh, you know, the mechanics of skating and some other different elements. And, you know, we hear lots about power skating, but are we missing something? Is there something more important? So uh, we'll get into that kind of the basics of uh, skating today in the first hour of the show. You can always get involved. You can text us at 10 12 60. You can email us in our Jiffy Lube inbox, Gregor at tsn1260.ca. The text line, already fired up. I like it. Of course, the uh, NHL news today. What? Do, hey, did you watch the game last night? How many of you st- stayed up and watched the entire game? Because I still remember the first game of my childhood where I was like, I stayed up and watched the game. It was late. It was in 1987, which is now the 12th longest game in NHL history. And it was the Islanders and the Capitals. I had no vested interest in either team. But I just kind of got caught up, and I'm like, I can't believe they're still playing. You know, I was young, early teens at that point, and I was just like, this was amazing. Stayed up to watch the whole game. And that was kind of like, wow, that was so awesome. And so uh, last night, I'll be honest, I tapped out after the third overtime. I recorded, I got up in the morning, I watched it, so I didn't know what happened. I was like, and it almost went to five overtimes. Now, my son was like, Dad, do they just keep playing? Because he has a book that talks about, oh, they changed the rules, and the book's actually wrong. 
So I had to tell them, because they wrote the book about how they had six overtimes. They're like, well, that would never happen. The NHL's changed the rules. No, they haven't. They haven't changed the rules in overtime. You could go six overtimes. They were 13 seconds away from going five overtime games, but the sixth longest game in NHL history last night. And if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan, here's the thing. Hurricanes lose. In the the 20 longest games in NHL history that involve seven-game series, the team that lost that long game lost the series 18 out of 20 times. Only two teams were able to uh, lose that lengthy game and come back and win a series. The last time it happened was, of course, 1994. The Devils lost Game Six to Buffalo. It was uh, they played. Uh, you know, they were in the uh, third period in a bit. Actually, you know, they were in period, early in period number four, overtime four. And uh, Buffalo won it, and then New Jersey came back two days later and won Game 7. Then you go back 1943, Detroit lost Game 2 to the Maple Leafs in uh, 70 minutes of overtime. So they're halfway through the fourth OT period, and they came back and won in six games. But any team that's ever lost it in Game 1, and I'm talking like the top 25 longest games, if you lose Game 1 in that fashion, they've never come back to win. So history is not on the side of the Hurricanes. We'll see. I thought the Panthers created more chances in overtime. I still think that Lombard goal, I would have counted. I, that was, oh, my, like, White barely touched the goalie. Like, come on. Like, think about that. If, if that's like a guy holding him, skating down the neutral zone. Oh, you touch him. Like, I think it's a little bit different. But either way, uh, you know what? It came full circle. They won. And uh, for some of you, you had the opportunity to probably watch the uh, the longest game you've ever you've ever watched. So, Cons, did you stay up? Yeah, Gregor, I stayed up to watch it. Uh, I was kind of debating taking a couple of melatonin and uh, seeing what happened. Maybe I would have fallen asleep before the game finished, but I did stay up, and it, it was certainly worth it. Uh, fun action, back and forth, good goaltending. Uh, Love the fans. I don't know if you saw the shot. I actually tweeted it out, but there was a fan sitting behind the Panthers bench that was asleep right behind Paul Maurice. Uh, funny things to see at a hockey game, but, yeah, you, you love that sort of stuff. Like, it... I imagine being a fan of those two teams. Every time the puck enters your defensive zone, you tighten up a little bit. Like, oh, this could be it. Could could fatigue factor in here? Could Anderson or Bobrovsky just something go wrong? Like, it's it's unbelievable action. I don't blame people who tapped out because it got quite late. But, yeah, I, I stuck around for this one, Gregor. Yeah, it was, you know what? Hey, give uh, Kachuk credit. Give Florida credit. Huge win. They now have tied the uh, second longest consecutive road winning streak in NHL playoff history at seven games. The LA Kings in 2012 won 10 consecutive games on the road. So the Panthers would have to win game two. And then if it goes to game five, and then of course either seven or on the road the next round. So uh, we'll see, but uh, they're off to a pretty good start in round number three. Uh, also today, Kyle Dubas not returning as GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Brendan Shanahan had a lengthy press conference today. Um, you know, he was pretty open about a lot of things. He mentioned how, you know, Dubas's press conference earlier this week kind of said, you know what, geez, maybe he doesn't want to be the GM. I don't know. And uh, so then supposedly, you know, there was an email that they countered to say, hey, we'll come back as a GM, but then they asked for more money. So he elected to say, guess what? No chance. And uh, now they will be looking for an experienced GM. And we'll see. Was, was Kyle Dubas, ah, you know what, it's Toronto or bust for me? Is that real? We'll find out. We'll find out pretty quickly or not. Calgary comes calling, which I'm guessing they would. Why wouldn't you? Hey, he's got experience. There's not a ton of experienced GMs out there. I think he'd learn from it. I think Kyle Dubas did a good job. I don't think he did a great job. I think he did a good job. His biggest blunder was he really never improved the defense score at the end of the day well enough. And and I go back, I thought some of his business mistakes were early on in his tenure, which makes sense because you're a rookie GM. But the Tavares contract combined with you know, giving Mitch Marner the money you gave him, there was no reason to do it at that point. None. Zero. Zilch. There's no reason to do it. 
It's a good player. It's not a $10.9 million player because he doesn't score enough goals. That's just, you pay guys that much money and you're forward, you got to score goals. At least that, that's where I view Some of you might view it different. That's how I view it. You make big-time cake as a forward, you got to be a goal scorer. You, you can't be pass first. I, I know some people, well, Martin is kind of like Patrick Kane. Well, except he isn't because he doesn't score like Patrick Kane. He isn't. So, different players, right? He's got lots of good attributes to his game. But he doesn't score as many goals for me. So, that's just... Uh, that's it. Uh, hey, guys, would you go with your backup next game from uh, the burglar? You know, it's funny, burglar. I was watching that last night. And, you know, if you're Carolina, you definitely could consider it because your you know, Rance has played a lot. Now, would Florida go to the line? You're going to have a conversation with Bob. No goalie's going to tell you, hey, I'm too tired. I don't want to play. Right? So you can have the conversation all you want, but you're not going to get the right. You're not going to get the answer. You're not going to get the most honest answer. It's like the Brennan Shanahan press conference today. I think he said a lot of things. How much of it is 100% truth? I don't know. Did he have his mind made up before this? Part of me wants to believe that, yes, he did. And I'll be curious. You know, he says the GM search starts today. Yeah, I would think that, the, you know, you would have a backup plan. You wouldn't just wait till today. You would have been looking at other options, maybe just in your own office. Hey, if we don't bring back Kyle, who are some other names? Do, 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 do. You have a list. And then boom. You get going. So I uh, I could see it. I definitely could see it. The guys, I stayed up, couldn't stop watching from Cal. boy, Cal. Stay in the game. I like it. Um, it is a positive uh, Friday, and uh, we always look for uh, positive different stories on the show, so I like it. I'm, uh, I'm looking for your positive generosity today. So uh, as you know, we've uh, this is our 10th year running uh, the Gregor Foundation where we, we help high school grads and, um, you know, get everything organized and usually if, if ill, everything's good. And so we've worked with a lot of the same schools over the years, and, you know, some years the school says, you know what, we actually don't have anybody who qualifies. Other years we have four or five kids. It varies from year to year. So there's a school that we've always worked with, and, you know, they didn't send in any – people this year which is fine well it turns out that the person who ran it that part of the school had had left and didn't tell anyone and so now they're scrambling so they came to me uh yesterday and uh we have like um 14 kids which is uh quite a bit and i'm soft and i like saying no so i said you know what we'll do it we'll figure it out we'll raise some money so i'm looking um i will uh, i'll cover the first two um, we've already made a big donation but i'll cover two of them and i'm looking for if we can fill out the other it's about 325 bucks a grad and that gets them everything. Gets them a suit, shirt, tie, shoes, a belt to go to grad. Gets tailoring from uh, Mr. Dirks. It's their suit to keep. It's not just a one-day thing. And uh, this is for a lot of kids who uh, who uh, otherwise um, you know, would go without. They don't have the financial means to do it. So if on a positive Friday you want to help out, you can. Just text in uh, your name. And if you want to donate uh, for one grad, that would be great. Two grads, even better. But uh, one, and uh, if we can get that done today, it would be awesome. So you can text in at 10, 12, 60 if you're looking to uh, help out some kids who uh, who definitely need it uh, this time of year. Also, some uh, some news. Uh, Jim Brown, pretty uh, big figure in the history of the NFL, passed away today at the age of 87. And... Uh, you know what? Uh, very successful on the field as as a player. He he did lots. Uh, I remember he was an activist. He he really tried to to work with warring gangs. Uh, you know, for for many years, trying to just stop the the fighting, and murdering one another, and you know, spoke out about a lot of things. Not everything. Not everything that uh, he did was great, right? Uh, there's obviously a, a history. Um, you know, in the '60s and '70s, and, I, and you have to understand different eras. It's not an excuse. It's just how we view life today in 2023 was not how they viewed life 50 and 60 years ago, right? I think we've we've grown and realized the error of our ways at that time. At least I would like to think. Not everybody, but most people have. And so you look back, um, and and none of none of those accusations have occurred since. Kind of like they're you know maybe had your eyes open to that. That's not how you treat women. So um, you know, he's he's not without flaws. But there's a lot of good things. Obviously, that's one where you have to, uh, um, you know, there's some stories. You can read them up. You can look up them yourself. Um, you can read. There's a, there's a few books about it. So I'll check it out. But uh, Jim Brown, uh, 87 years of age, a prominent civil rights advocate, 
I was even an actor uh, later on. Accomplished uh, many good things. Passes away at the age of 87. Hey, Gregor, your parts about Marner's contract uh, shows you uh, anybody complained about Nurse. Smitty, do you not understand, Smitty, the difference between a forward and a defenseman? I'm pretty sure I outlined forward. Now, I've said a million times, Smitty, you don't want to believe it because I guess, I don't know, you, you can't do math. As I've said many times, compare Darnell Nurse's contract to all the other guys who are signed right around his time that were UFA defensemen. Don't include Kale McCarr because he's not a UFA defenseman. Go compare Wierenski and Jones and Hamilton and Riley and all the other ones. You know what the average is? 8.75. So if you want to say he's 500 grand overpaid and that makes him terrible and that makes you sleep at night, go to town. Feel great about yourself. But at least have the comprehension skills to understand the difference when we talk about paying a forward compared to a defenseman. Mitch Marner doesn't play defense, last I checked. So there you go. Take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the uh, skating mechanics and something that maybe we've overlooked. Next on the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 220 Edmonton Sports Theater, TSN 1260. Welcome back. Pause of Friday. Jason Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. And uh, let's get to our big guest of the day now, brought to you by... Silent Eye Sports and Entertainment, innovative market leader across Western Canada. And a big shout-out to the Seattle Thunderbirds. Wishing them all the best. Hoping to uh, wrap up the uh, Western League final and uh, move on to the Memorial Cup, which is in Kamloops, Strutty's hometown. And Strutty got the invite. He's going to the Memorial Cup. Be, uh, they're pulling out all the big wigs. are coming back to town for the Memorial Cup. That'll be probably awesome time for old Strutty, so we'll talk to him about that. He's off today, but uh, he will be heading out to the Memorial Cup. Uh, not this coming week, but the following week. So it's very good. Now, uh, we are going to talk uh, a little skating. Daryl Marchuk joins us from uh, Perfect Skating. Uh, Daryl, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, and actually, before we go any further, uh, I think what you're doing with the suit stuff is a great cause. Um, please mark us down for one as well. We'll, we'll definitely cover one. Oh, awesome. I got uh, Ricardo's already in as well. So there, boom, we're already awesome. done too. Let's so, get it rolling. Hey, that's great. I appreciate it. So now with Perfect Skating, uh, tell me about, because uh, you guys have been around a long time, I noticed, but uh, you, you came into Edmonton recently. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we've been in Edmonton since last summer, kind of arrived and started offering some programming. But uh, So yeah, we're new to the area, but we're not new. It started in the Ottawa area a little bit prior to 2010. Perfect Skating was started by our founder, Sean Allard, who's now the full-time performance and movement coach for the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. So, Sean, the story of Perfect Skating is Sean started as a pro player in Europe and eventually switched to the role of coaching. And as he moved into coaching and started looking through the lens of a coach, he was surprised at how many players, even at the level, like the professional level, struggled with movement. There were so many deficiencies that he saw and, and just the reliance on power all the time that said, you know what, like there's got to be a better way to do this. Movement and skating has been taught or had been taught the same way for decades. So with the advancement of, of so many other things, there there had to be a better way to do this. And so that led into a bunch of research and partnerships with universities around Ottawa, purchase of 3D motion capture tech uh, in order for us to develop a science-based system of movement and performance for players. And over time, that's that's led to a partnership um, with, you know, something we value a lot, uh, our partners at CCM Hockey, uh, where they allow us to use their labs, continue to get data and refine our system. Uh, and that's led now to us working with uh, over 350 NHL athletes as well as thousands of minor hockey players. Okay, so now I want to get to skating. So, you know, we many of us grow up, it's still out there now, the term power skating. you got to get your kids into power skating. Power skating is very good, and, and I think there definitely is benefits to it, yeah. no question. But how have things changed and evolved? When like, pow- Is power skating at times – maybe misdiagnosed and how we look at it and what's the benefit? Yeah, so it's a great question. If everything else is equal, then power is important, right? Okay. Of course, the athlete who's more, more powerful, if everything else is equal, is going to have an advantage. But power increase definitely isn't the thing that I find most, pe- uh, most players need to focus on initially. So if skating was just all about how powerful someone is, 
Connor McDavid should look like a world-class powerlifter, and we know that's not the case. And actually, we've had our companies had the pleasure of working with Connor. Uh, our founder Sean works with Connor fairly consistently in the summer, and so we know it's far more about edge control, body control, mass control, stride turnover rate, and those things versus just pure focus on power. Uh, a good analogy I like to use sometimes is like golf, right? So um, if we were trying to increase our our power, you know you and me on on our driver and we stepped up to the tee box and we just tried to swing harder yeah that doesn't mean that that's actually going to occur we (laughs) know that we need to focus on weight shift and using the proper you know kinetic chain the firing of the kinetic chain and and then even club face right like i know I'm, i'm not the greatest golfer so i know opening and closing the club face just a tiny bit and it's all over the map right so a really really good comparison with that is people forget like players really need to focus on the exceptional control at the level of the skate blade. Hockey's this weird sport, right? Like we're asking players to transfer their athleticism into the ice, not through something the width of a shoe, but through something the width of a skate blade. And yeah. so if they don't have that meticulous control of the skate blade and feel okay. and understanding of center mass and weight weight shift and all those things, then they're never going to be able to transfer all that power into the ice. So, you know, the very first thing we actually start to work on is the meticulous control and balance and feel in the skate blade. So with young players, then what what are the common mistakes you see from young kids? Yeah, so if we start talking about the youngest athletes, uh, like let's say kids between, I don't know, 7 and 10 years old, for example. Obviously, each player is different, but kids, whether they're taught this or intuitively they learn it just by feel, like, players know they need to start to bend their knees when they skate, Mm -hmm. right? So if we're talking the youngest players, so they start moving and they just bend their knees, but it almost makes it so they're sitting more into a chair, right? Right now. So once they're bending the knees and that weight shift happens toward their heels, their body needs to find its balance. So in order to find its balance, what we often see is that from the hips up, the torso, it turns into this forward fold kyphotic type posture. And then once that happens, the issue is that the muscles you need to fire to skate well aren't going to do so. And it's a really tough position to handle the puck, etc. So the first thing I find with young players is they really just need to start to, to work on hip angle and making sure they understand how to get pressure in towards their toes properly and find that balance again. Uh, it's something that's really common. Obviously not all players, but yeah. um, something that, you know, if I had to generalize stuff that we see with the youngest athletes, um, that's that's what we start to see. And then if we kind of talk about the next age group of players. So, you know, after they've, they've begun their initial journey on the ice, um, you know, one common thing that we end up hearing a lot is, you know, parents will say, my, my kid, their motor, they need to work on their motor. They struggle with their motor. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell them like, you're, Players very rarely go into a game being like, you know what I want to do? I want to skate slowly today, and I don't want to try my hardest or move my fastest. And so what we see there is is often just um, they need to work on improving how they shift their weight a little bit. A lot of times when we start to think about transitioning between skills on the ice, they might be able to do uh, something well in, in isolation, in a controlled setting. But once it's in more of a game-like scenario, often they just really struggle with where their weight shift is happening. So they get put on their heels a lot and it starts to slow them down and and they struggle with that motor. So we first have to start by removing any of the technical issues. um, So any of their technique problems. And then once that's fixed, then we can really start to push pace with them. Daryl Marchuk joins us from uh, Perfect Skating. We're just talking about now I've heard from some people that a lot of kids until you have the proper strength, it's really hard to, to be able to, be like technically sound as a skater right like some of it's going to be athleticism now is that accurate or is that misleading um i think there's some level of accuracy to that so again we have to look at each individual player is different so there are certain players if they at a really young age they they hit a huge growth spurt and, and they just may not have the strength versus their body weight there can be some struggles there but honestly, I find it's more about teaching them how to understand their body. Okay. So if you can have a player off the ice hold, a, you know, I'll give you an example, uh, just a really great athletic stance, athletic position, one foot. They can keep their head level. They they can keep their knee in the spot it should be, the ankle flexion where it should be, and they can balance on one foot independently. Then there probably shouldn't be that 
many issues with their overall stride mechanics. So, so now you explain that to me. Can you stand up right in front of me so I can see like what that motion would be like to see? And, and I know I know it's for radio for people, but I'm curious. I just want to see how basic it is. And would this be something? Because as somebody who coaches, so you're staring, you get into the stride, and you're just you're going in and out with your foot back is like you're pushing a skate. Yeah. All right. And you don't want to see them leaning too far one way or leaning too far the other. Yeah. So that should be something that every amateur coach should do with his players. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll say this. We, you know, sometimes we have young, young players come in and parents are like, well, you know, my kid's struggling on the ice. And I'm like, well, if they can't balance on one foot off the, off ice, the ice, then they're probably they gonna not going to be yeah. able to balance on a blade. On that's like, yeah. Yeah. And then like to, to go a little bit deeper into your question. So then the next step is like, you know, there are f- different physical development, you know, levels, and, and the curve is different for every player. Yes. So from a technique standpoint, the goal is you can you can work on that technique. And then, yeah, sometimes, as you know, kids are going to get hit growth spurts and, and times where they're going to find more strength. So as long as we've got that technique locked in first, then as they go through their natural progression as a, a kid and they hit those different growth cycles and curves, then they'll be able to take that power and actually know how to transfer it into the ice. But again, just like we talked about with, you know, the highest level of player, it's it's really understanding how to be able to unlock what you do have and put it into the ice surface. Daryl Marchuk joins us from Perfect Skating. When I was a kid, I never heard about inside or outside edge. It was never even discussed. Yeah. Not at all. And now it's discussed quite a bit. And I go to coaching clinics because I coach. and You know, you have a few people that come in, okay, you have to work on inside and outside edge. And for somebody who didn't, I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I get it now, of course. I've heard about it for many years. But it's amazing how much it's changed. I'm not old, but it's changed that drastically or it wasn't even really a consideration. And so are there ways that you that can get kids to learn how to understand the different feel from the inside edge to the outside edge? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I can't, we're on radio, so yeah. I can't draw something out. But, yeah, and that's really like – I think people sometimes discredit the importance of the why. So you talk to, to players about why this is important – and then we really focus on feel. So a lot of the drills we, we do, it's, hey, here's your inside edge. Here's why it's important. But let's make you feel how it how it is to get into that position properly. Okay, okay. now we've locked that in. Okay, now let's find that feel again. And same thing with outside edge. Let's find that feel. But the thing that's interesting, like you kind of focused on it with kids. Um, you'd be surprised how many pro players, pro level players need to clean up the work on their inside and outside edge. Like yeah. when players truly have that control of their edge work uh, and they can find the flats of their skates and they can start to use their mass to create speed instead of constantly fighting against it, uh, it unlocks so many things for them in their game. Like I know a lot of people, they watch Connor McDavid and he's, he's the best skater in the game, arguably maybe the greatest skater in history. Uh, of the NHL, and it's especially like you know, there's guys like Bobby Orr and Paul Coffey and a few other ones, different types. But you know, McDavid, how he spins out of corners and his edge work, and and his own teammates, guys in the NHL who are like the top one percent of one percent, and they're still like like this guy's on a whole other planet. So I, I don't think it's fair to say okay, let's try to be like Connor McDavid because I'm not even sure you can, right? But you could like there's lots of other really really good skaters that you can go for, but the size is is so much different even in the NHL. Like look at Edmonton, for instance, they got Vincent DeHarnay, and then you got Kyler Yamamoto. They're literally a foot difference. So, how much, like, how would you have to adjust individual kids? Because there's some 12 year olds that can be eight inches bigger than other 12 year olds. Yeah. yeah, I think that's such a great question. So, in terms of, I'll start with a more generalized statement. Like, there are certain constants to good movement on the ice that are there, they've been there since great skaters. Uh, you know, from great skaters in the past all the way till now, you know, good dorsiflexion and mass control and all those things. But absolutely, like you, you used the two great examples. Like if you look at DeHarnay and put him beside Kyler Yamamoto, I don't think it would re- be reasonable to think those two players would move the same. And just to clarify, like this isn't an analysis of DeHarnay skating or Yamamoto's. And I'll get into, you know, some of the, the things that big guys have challenges with. But since we're in the Edmonton market, let's talk about, you know, two two guys that 
are, I get a lot of attention. So you mentioned Connor, and then let's talk about Leon. So even those two bodies are so different, right? Their height, their build, their torso to leg ratio, um, the way that uh, Leon's cue angle, so the way his femur exits his his uh, hips and his pelvis, that the way that happens, like he's never going to skate the same way that Connor's going to skate. So. You, what we work on is finding those constants or knowing those constants, teaching them the players, but then teaching them in a way that works for their body. And then again, it comes to that feel. So now, all right, you know how that feels and works well with your body. Now let's refine it okay. and let's keep working with that. So yeah, it you work from the constants into how does this get tailored for your body? And then if we talk about, you know, a guy like Day Harnay, Big guy problems are real when it, when it comes to movement, right? Yeah. Like everybody talks about like, oh, I just, I wish I was 6'5". It's like, well, do you? Because there's things that those guys have to have to work through. And Like what's and, the big, because I know he mentioned for a big guy, puck skills are definitely a, yeah. a challenge for him for sure. But from a skating perspective, what's the biggest one? Um, again, generalization, not uh, uh, an analysis of DeHarnay skating here. But in the end, we, we think about length of levers. Everything that a, a large player is doing is done on a, a scale where, you know, if they're bigger, they're heavier, the, their lever length is longer. It It's going to affect, you know, a little bit of a, uh, their center of mass being off just a little bit is going to affect them more once it gets to the level of the ice and that weight transfer more than it will with a player who might skate in a little bit more compact fashion who okay. might be a little bit shorter. So really when we've worked with some of our athletes who are 6'5", 6'6", uh, what what we really focus on is, is it starts with that blade control. And as soon as they understand that, it starts to unlock some things. And then the other thing that players really forget about, and actually all players, I find this is, this is a struggle with them, but especially, you know, bigger, heavier athletes. Like we ask athletes to be, have quick toes, or you hear it all the time, ah, oh, be on your toes, have quick toes. Well, if you're like six, five, 225 pounds, it's hard to be light. So <laughs> players need to, it's not just about stride technique. It's about understanding when to lift weight off the feet, how to extend from the hip. So the game is very much played from 90 degrees to 160 degrees. And there's a lot of players that they just try to skate close to 90 degrees. The head doesn't move. Players have to start to understand the feel of when to lift the weight off the skate, when to drop it back down, when to get light so they can have those quick toes. And big players, larger players, it's just something that you have to work through a little more with them uh, in order to start to refine that technique. Daryl Marchek joins us, Hampton Sports Theater, TSN 1260 from uh, Perfect Skating. Now, the big everybody always wants to get quicker at skating, right? That, that to me is like the one thing, you know, speed for skating. There's benefits from it. But how, like, how do you do it? Does it have to be off the ice? Can it be? Is it a combination of both? How do you get quicker? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> and I guess so, you know, the, the, Really, again, it's different for each player. Um, if I'm going to make some more generalized statements in terms of things that we see with athletes and things they struggle with, like you hear coaches all the time, be like, oh, get into your toes, be on your toes. And it's funny. So I'll, we'll go work with a, a group of young athletes and I'll be like, hey, hands up if, if you've ever had a coach tell you, be on your toes. And every hand goes up. Yeah. And then my second question is, all right, who knows what that actually means? And like three quarters of the hands go down. And then, all right who actually knows how to find that or what that feels like. And now there's maybe one or two hands up. And so as a, as a more generalized statement, if we think about how movement is created in on the ice, most of it is driven through the toe. And so even backwards movement, right? Like a good backwards start, you swivel the hips and you still have to drive through the toe. So it's teaching players to really understand where to optimize their body positioning so they can keep that pressure in the part of the skate whether it's the toe or, or the odd skill where, you, where they are trying to drive through the heel, um, that they know how to find that. And that that is something that a lot of players really struggle with unlocking, is just getting into that right position to allow themselves to be quick. Um, now, you uh, you have some uh, some camps uh, right now in Edmonton. You've been in Edmonton you know, for, for a bit. Um, but I went online and... 
they're limited now. You guys are almost sold out. So obviously, because uh, you guys have been doing this across Canada and uh, North America for a while, um, what's kind of the main focus in your camps? And, and for people who do want to get uh, into any of them, how do they do it? Yeah, so um, we've got two main streams of programming. So the first one is our perfect skating program, and that's what we've talked a lot about uh, so far on the show and, and movement. Uh, and starting to to get players to to understand their body better on the ice and remove asymmetries and it's actually with all of our NHL athletes that's what they start with each year so just for any of you young athletes out there understand like even the best players in the world continue to work on their skating every year so we start from that platform with all of our NHL athletes and then so you'll see our perfect skating program and then the second program which is is really important and and something that I I'm glad we're we're going to be able to bring up like in the end, the game is played with the puck. So if we never have lost sight of what we do is to increase your actual game performance and game skill. So if the way you're moving, you can't handle a puck or it puts your body in a position where your stick, the lie of your stick, you can't catch a pass, like none of that, then it really doesn't matter. So, yes. you know, our perfect skating program, we make sure that we start to introduce some of the puck skills associated with proper mapping. So starting to map the right skills in. And then we have a program called our small area movement program. So when we, we're constantly analyzing and refining our method. And as we did the research at the NHL level, it's clear that most of the game happens in a 10 foot radius. And so the small area movement program is now taking those patterns putting them into those radiuses that the game's played in, adding speed and adding pressure. And those things are incredibly important. So with our programming, you know, we want to make sure that athletes get a lot of individualized attention. So our mainstreams of programming, we have a maximum of 12 skaters on the ice. We have a minimum of three coaches because we want to make sure that those athletes actually get attention and focus detail to properly map the skills in so they can transfer it to the game. And that small area movement program is now our coaches pressuring, chasing, correcting. And, and so the players are learning those puck skills that are mapping to the foot component. And to me, that's one thing that, that can sometimes get lost with, you know, the traditional power skating method. Like it, it's not when we, when we think about a scale, like let's say a rudder turn, a, a, a hard turn on the ice, like we know there's certain things that also happen from at the level of the hips and the core and the hands. And so if we're not mapping those in at the same time, then it's not realistic to believe that it's going to transfer to gameplay as well. So those are things that we, we focus on a lot with the small area movement program. Now, before I let you go, and I, I apologize if I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, what about rehab coming back from injury? skating because a lot of times like okay you know what jesus my feeling good my groin my knee whatever it is and it's like okay go skate now my and i don't know enough about it but part of me is like if it's all about mechanics should there be a proper rehab skate factor not just oh you feel good we've done all the testing now you go skate yeah i'm, I'm glad you brought this up you're not putting me on the spot um in my opinion even some at the level of the nhl this isn't always done you know, well. So certain organizations have this, some are, are kind of just coming around to it. But if we think about kind of the rehab process for a player, you're asking a player to start to, you know, remove pain first and then get stronger off the ice, all that's happening. But then you have to have somebody that can communicate with the physio and actually do it on the ice. Cause we know that skating is a unique movement. And then yes. When players are injured, whether, especially if you add a surgery, players have lost proprioception, their ability to feel where their body is in space. And so, for example, we worked with one local pro through, he tore his Achilles. And so there were, there were times where he thought his body was in a certain position and it wasn't. And if you don't actually correct that on the ice and get that feel back and proper range of motion with good communication with the physio, then that player is going to, because they, they feel like they're doing it the same way. They're going to end up going into a scenario where they're playing in a game and there's a deficiency. They're not sure why they're not, you know, hitting that turn as fast or accelerating as quickly or whatever it may be. 
and and now they're they're struggling a little bit more and then that can lead to you know confidence issues etc yeah. but it is so important it's something that we do a fair bit i know you know i mentioned sean in colorado he works extensively with their players um and you know being able to chat with them it's it's really interesting some of the techniques they use and how they synergistically work with with the physio um to make sure that the, the player's back but yeah i would um i would recommend to anybody listening if you know you're an athlete yourself or you have a young athlete who's gone through a major injury or uh, you know a, a surgery especially then you know make sure you reach out to us or a qualified professional who can actually you know speak a similar language to the physio communicate properly and rebuild that movement pattern properly or else all you're doing is creating a situation where we, we term it the overpowered athlete okay. and that's where that athlete just you know hey i got to go harder that's my only way to, to yeah. get better at this and we, we've just got to rebuild that. Work problem. smarter, not harder yeah. sometimes. Yeah, that that's, right. Sense. that's uh, right. Perfectskating.ca is where you can go check out uh, um, you know, any what you guys do, uh, your motto, and lots of different viewpoints on, on skating and anything else. And uh, if there's anybody in the Edmonton area who is uh, is looking for a few camps, it has it right on the site. Actually, if you're listening online, you can go to uh, all over the place. I see you guys are in... Um, you're in Barrie, uh, you, man. You're in lots of uh, lots of different locations uh, all across the country. Yeah, we're we're starting to expand. It's um, you know the passion from our coaches. We started in that Ottawa area, but you know we we found something that you know we feel works and is is unique and and can help athletes all over. And so um, yeah, we've we've started to focus on some expansion, and that brought us out here and and to some other markets as well. Awesome. Well, Daryl, thanks for this. And more importantly, man, thanks for uh, supporting uh, uh, Gregor's grad and one of the graduates. Uh, they'll really appreciate it. Yeah, that. my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, 244, quick break. Uh, Mark Zacchino joins us next on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. We continue on. I'm the Sports Leader TSN 1260. Uh, lots of text. Gregor, that might have been your most educational skating segment ever. Get that guy back on. Thanks from Dan. Boys, as somebody who has his uh, young boy struggling, he's a big kid. I really enjoyed that. I'll have to check it out comes from dan we've got lots more texts like that you know what daryl was awesome from uh, from perfect skating really well done insightful informative and it's I like what he talked about if you're if your son or daughter struggles with balance off the ice well of course they're going to struggle skating so then they work on how to improve your balance off the ice and then naturally you're going to have better balance on the ice so hey i'm no rocket scientist but i can figure that simple thing out um, let's get to the golf report brought to you by All Tech Supply, the only Canadian-owned Valve Master Distributor that exclusively supports your local supply store. Go to alltechsupply.com, strength through distribution. And, uh, Mark, we are even making golf analogies and weight transfer in your swing, which obviously helps for uh, for skating. And uh, here we are. Uh, we're midway through round two of the PGA Championship, and Corey Connors is at the top of the leaderboard right now. Um, he's had an, he's, you know, he's matched his three under today through 11 holes. I, mean, I think he's maybe finished 12 now, but uh, give me your thoughts on Corey Connors, because we've seen him near the top of the leaderboard early in the, in the majors, and he hasn't been able to finish. I don't know if you can say, hey, he's ready to finish yet on a Sunday, but maybe what are you what what are you seeing from Connors through two days this year that maybe makes you believe this could be the time he cracks it open? Yeah, you know, it's a little early, I guess, to be calling Sunday finishes. It is a Friday. This is a very difficult golf course. Tomorrow the conditions are not looking good. Uh, however, you know, he is one of the game's best ball strikers. On, on the PGA Tour, everywhere you go, it's, it's not a Canadian story. It's, uh, it's, it's everywhere you go. They talk about how Corey Connors, you know, hits it off the dime. And if you can never get the putter to line up and match up with the ball striking, then it's going to be, you know, a special season or a special week or finally a major win for Corey Connors. And to me, that's really what's going on right now. We had 100 games well on pace to do that again today. So the ball striking, we, we all anticipated that. When Bob and Graham and I arrived on property on Monday, we all kind of looked around and said, eh, this, this golf course, there's not going to be a bunch of, this is not going to be a putting contest. When we look at this leaderboard, it's just going to be ball striker after ball striker after ball striker. You're not going to be able to win this championship uh, you know, by just kind of putting your way through, which we often see week in and week out on the PGA Tour. So no surprise that Corey Connors, uh, is, this is fitting his game, uh, and the reason he's at the top of the leaderboard is the putter is open up. And even if the putter doesn't necessarily keep going the way it's going right now, as long as it stays 
solid. It doesn't have to be spectacular. As long as it's pretty solid on a golf course like this, you can win. So, now, why is this course, it's just because it's so narrow that you have to be a great ball striker? Like, what makes this course so clearly need of a good ball striker? Uh, fairways are extremely narrow, and, and protect, it's protected by old-school USGA rough. You know, this is the PGA Championship, and the rough here looks like how the USGA used to set up their golf courses. You know, you miss the fairway by a foot or two, and it can fall all the way to the bottom. So, it puts a premium on putting it in the fairway. And then the ball striking needs to continue as I have, I mean, I cannot recall the, the last time I was on a property where there was this many, these many uh, uphill approach shots, especially in the really, really difficult par fours. There are so many difficult par fours uh, on this golf course to play in that 500 yard range, and you are hitting uphill to a green where you cannot see anything but the top of the flag. I mean, so you've got to be on point all day with your ball striking. You can't hide around here. You're missing to the wrong side. You're in big trouble. Um, it just puts the players under a lot of stress all day. It keeps them very uncomfortable from the start to the finish. Mark Zacchino joins us uh, talking uh, golf. Of course, the uh, the PGA Championship. Corey Connors, the Canadian, currently leads at uh, six under. Scotty Scheffler, the best golfer in the world, right on his heels. Uh, he and Hovland are at uh, four under. You've seen Scheffler now for for a bit, Mark. Uh, what impresses you most about his game? And you know, do you see like who's his biggest rival to knock him off in your eyes, or is is he right now like the best golfer? And there's a little bit of a gap. I think it's him and John Rahm and then everybody else. Now, John Rahm is not having the tournament that we all anticipated. But if you take a snapshot of the last six months, last year, last year and a half, it's Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, and the rest of the world. That, that's, there's a big two in the game. And Scotty Scheffler, I think yesterday, if people are looking for, you know, what's the difference between Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm? I mean, how, how do we... How do you distinguish between these two best players in the game? I think Scotty Scheffler's round of golf yesterday is a perfect example of why he is as good as he is. He hit very few greens uh, and very few fairways. He hit 50% of his fair, 57% of his fairways and only 61% of his greens. If that had been anybody else in this field, he would have shot 74, 75, 76. And Scotty Scheffler shot a bogey-free round of 67 with those ball-striking numbers yesterday. Nobody else can do that in this field. Nobody. Everybody else is near or at the top of this leaderboard by hitting fairways and hitting green. Uh, full stop, end of story. Uh, I, I mean, but Scotty Scheffler seems to be able to get it done in so many different ways. There are leaps like we saw at the Players' Championship earlier this year where he's living in the center of the fairway and leaving the field of greens and regulation and his putter cooperates and he, he kind of laps the field with the player's championship. But there are, there are days like yesterday where it's like, wow, this guy can get it done when he doesn't necessarily have his best stuff. And I thought that was extremely impressive uh, yesterday from Scotty Sheffler. And, and today, you know, it's, it's not, ball striking is a little better today than it was yesterday. But again, not, doesn't have his A game. This is not Scotty Scheffler's best. He's kind of hovering around, a couple birdies above him. Here he is, two off the pace, lurking on another leaderboard. So, you know, if, if Scotty can get this in the clubhouse, let's say anywhere, you know, around three, four, five under par. It's likely he's going to be somewhere in the top three in this golf tournament, and, and it's likely he has not played his best round of the uh, of the championship yet, and that should probably scare a lot of golfers. Uh, going back to Connors, and you mentioned ball striking's his strength. Um, hey, the Canadians, it's not just him. you got Taylor Pendrith. He's at one under tied for sixth. Uh, Adam Svensson's one under tied for sixth. The Canadians are killing it across the board right now. But Connors putting. Uh, you know, and I've had Corey on the show, and he's talked about it. That's the area that he needs to improve. I don't know enough about it. When you watch him putt, what is it about his putting game that he would like to, that needs to improve? You know, it's, it's not one of those things where you can break down. It's not like a thing where, you know, when George Spieth was missing it for three years, 60 yards right, and then would go and miss one, you know, 40 yards left with a two-way miss. So he went back to the drawing board and created a move at the top of his golf swing with a laid-off wrist and a hard move to the left to eliminate the left side of the golf course so he could just, you know, have a one-way miss. It's not something technical like that where you look at Corey and you go, okay, well, you know, 
does this wrong or that wrong. His, his lines are very neutral. His, everything's very square and simple, which is nice and clean. He rolls the ball well. He has putted very, very well at times, especially Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The challenge really becomes confidence and psychological. You know, Bob and I have talked about this over the last few years. He needs to putt on Sunday when he has a chance to win the same way he putts on Thursday. And that is a psychological thing. That is the ability to not putt defensively. Great putters and putters that win major championships putt without a fear of missing. They don't think about the one coming back. They're only thinking about the one they are trying to make. And that has nothing to do with the physicality of a putting stroke. It has nothing to do with your eyes over the golf ball. It has nothing to do with the loss on the putter and a forward press or a lack of a forward press. It simply has to do with an attitude of, I can start this on the line I'm looking, and I'm here to make this putt. And if I've got two feet coming back, three feet coming back, four feet coming back, I'll deal with that at that time. You've got to learn to stand up over those putts on Sunday and roll it to hold it. And that's the real difference with Corey. We'll see. Right now, that's what he's doing. And right now, it's Thursday and Friday. Hopefully, hopefully we keep this going. Uh, Mark, one last one for you. Now that it's that the PJ Championship has moved uh, to to May, how much better is it for the tour in your eyes? It's great for the tour. I, I don't love it for the PJ Championship. I mean, the weather on on Wednesday it was absolutely freezing. It was about five degrees Celsius. Yesterday was a decent day, but cool. Today was a lovely day until until the the rain moved in. But you know this. You know, there's certain parts of the country where this time of the year it's not a guarantee. And when we, and when Oak Hill, which is an unbelievable venue, guys, he's one of the best golf courses I have seen in quite a long time. When this was awarded the PGA Championship, I mean, this was awarded the championship well before the, the new schedule. And of course, the new schedule came out really to help the PGA Tour so they can move the FedEx Cup up out of September away from the NFL and put the spotlight on that FedEx Cup and hand it out in August before the NFL got going. And PGA of America did everybody a favor and we we rejigged the schedule and put the player championship back to March. So it's going to be interesting to see. It's not like we're not going to come back up this way. We're going to be back up this way. Philadelphia in 2026, uh, New Jersey in 2029, uh, other than that, it looks like we've got some, some warmer venues the rest of the way, Texas, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., et cetera. But it's really interesting this time of year up, uh, 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 this time of year up this way. It's really hit or miss, flip a coin. It looks like tomorrow's not a great day. As of right now, it looks like a really nice Sunday. So hopefully we get that Sunday we all want. Mark, great stuff, man. Uh, enjoy the weather, stay dry, and uh, enjoy all the Canadians at the top of the leaderboard. Hopefully it continues. Yeah, let's. Let's go. Go, go. go red and white. Let's go. Okay. Uh, I have a good one. There's uh, Mark Sacchino, uh joining us live from the PGA Championship. And, uh, yes, the Canadians, of course, uh, are killing it. Mark, of course, is from uh, Golf Talk Canada. And uh, right now, Corey Connors uh, leading at six under. Uh, tied for sixth place at one under is uh, Taylor Pendrith and Adam Svensson. So you got uh, three Canadians in the top ten right now. It's awesome. So uh, you might want to check that out if you're a golf fan. Uh, you can watch it uh, on TSN. Uh, let's get to the uh, con man and a sports center update brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling. Home of the no payments, no interest for one year on your AC unit. Stay cool all summer at LegacyHeating.ca.